0: Wired.com presents The Geek's
1: Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host,
0: David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 340 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Our guest today is James Patterson. He's the author of over 200 books which have sold over 375 million copies, and he holds the Guinness World Record for the most number one New York Times bestsellers. His Alex Cross series of detective thrillers have been adapted into feature films such as Kiss the Girls and Along Came a Spider, both starring Morgan Freeman. And we'll be speaking with him today about his new children's book, Max Einstein, The Genius Experiment, which he wrote with Chris Grabenstein, and his novel The President is Missing, which he wrote with former President Bill Clinton. And now here's our interview with James Patterson. All right, so we're here with James Patterson. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Okay, and so your new book is called Max Einstein, The Genius Experiment. So how'd this book come about?
1: Well, the uh, Einstein estate um, wanted to hook up with a publisher and a writer who would make sure the kids around the world were familiar with, with Albert Einstein and his, and his science. And I guess because they're Einstein people, they were smart, hmm. and um, they insisted that it had to be entertaining. Or kids basically wouldn't, wouldn't read it. Or if they read one book, they wouldn't read, you know, the follow ups in the series. So they came to, uh, Disney and Scholastic. And then I have a small imprint at uh, Little Brown. And they asked us all to talk, you know, to them about what would we do if we got it. And all they gave us was the name Max Einstein. And when we got together, I said, um, well, uh, you know, I know this isn't a big deal everywhere, but it is in a lot of places around the world and even in the, in the United States. I'd like to make Max a girl because still in a lot of places, including Silicon Valley, um, um you know, women, it, it isn't as easy for them to get jobs in science and math. And so I said, I think that's a good thing. I didn't know how they would feel about it, but they liked it a lot. And then I gave them, you know, an example of, of how it might go, and I said, well, the first chapter might go something like this. Max is homeless in New York City, and um, uh, she lives with a bunch of other homeless people, and she's, she, you can tell right away that she's very smart and very into science, and um, um, she uh, she lives in a building where the bottom two floors are heated because there's, uh, horses are kept there, and the top f- four floors where the humans are kept are not heated, so it gets very cold in the winter. and She goes to some of the homeless people and she says, I'd like to, uh, what I want to do is I want to get manure from the bottom two floors and then I'll turn it into methane gas and uh, we'll heat the top four floors. So that's the way we start out where it's it's cool storytelling, but it also has a, a little element of science to it. And you know, uh, uh, kids love um, sort of jokes about uh, manure and things <laughs> like that. So it, it gets them into it in a fun way, and that's and that's the challenge in the series to keep keep them involved as they're um, um, learning some things about about the Einstein and science. And I'm terrible at science, so that you're going to be able to trick me with any kind of science questions.
0: <laughs> oh, well, anyway,
1: so, so that's that, that's how it starts.
0: Yeah. Well, so then, how about your co-author Chris Grabenstein? How did he get involved?
1: He did nothing. <laughs> I just put his name on it. Cause he... No, Chris is great, and we've worked together now on about 10 uh, children's books. Um, we've known each other for, I don't know, 30 years. Uh, we get along. We, You know, the thing about partnerships, um, and I remember uh, at one point I, I did a, a book with a Scandinavian, a very good mystery writer from Scandinavia, Lisa Markland. And, you know, in the States, if you do a book, you're lucky if you get one or two interviews. Um, when we did the book, I went over to Stockholm and we had 49 interviews, uh, okay. for people from all over Europe and they really like to talk about books over in, uh, in Europe. And, um, uh, one of the nice things about the European interviews is they ask different questions than the ones you get in the States where they just keep repeating the same questions over and over and over again. But the one question that was, um, sort of went went across almost all of the, all of the interviewers was, how could a Swede and an American ever get along and, you know, cooperate on a book together? How could they collaborate? And what Lisa and I said was that basically there were two things. One, uh, respect for the other person's work and, and, and who they are. And second, you listen. And and that's true of of the book I did with with uh, President Clinton, and it's true uh anytime when Chris and I work together, we have great respect for one another, uh, and we listen. Um, so yeah, that so Chris was uh, you know you know very involved as he has been, and we do Treasure Hunters and I Funny and a bunch of of kids books, and uh, you know I, I think we're both pretty proud of, of the product.
0: Well, I'll try not to repeat the same questions over and over again. So yeah, yeah well. Is this the first interview you've done about Max Einstein? Uh,
1: no. There've been, you know, there've been there been several, um, um, and um, but but all the same question. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Actually, there've been several around the world because the book, um, you know, has been sold in a lot of countries already. Because, um, you know, I, I, it, 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 certainly book companies understand the importance of, of Einstein and 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 kind of the uniqueness of um. um you know, introducing Einstein and his theory, theory to kids. I mean, it's sort of a funny idea, and Sony comes to you and you go, we want you to introduce Einstein and his theories to small children, but just make it entertaining. And you go like, oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe we can do that. I don't know. So, I mean, and, and the thing is, I mean, what, what Chris and I hoped to do was um, that for kids that, that don't, you know, really know anything about Einstein, it would be, you know, sort of a nice introduction. And yeah, they'd walk away from book one probably knowing more about Einstein than their parents do. Um, but for kids who are really into science, it's it would sort of stimulate them to find out a lot more about Einstein. So that's that's our hope.
0: So did you sort of make a list of Einstein's scientific concepts and then sort of connect the dots? There? Well,
1: it's a series, so we're gonna we're gonna we'll continue. We're we're gonna keep doing things. The second book is uh, the manuscript's done. Uh, it's at you know being edited right now at Little Brown second one goes to ireland and then to um um to india uh once again just trying to solve problems around the world with science
0: uh right and for readers this first book they travel to africa to to solve problems
1: yeah well first you know max gets introduced to this you know kind of a a mysterious thing she gets called over to, to israel uh and um she meets up with a lot of really smart kids and um uh they sort of have a contest to see and 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 whoever is sponsoring this thing believes that the hope of the future has to be children because they 're not saddled with a lot of the the um uh self doubts and um fears and you know w- worried about making mistakes and whatever and uh so these are all very bright kids and and the way it's the way the contest is is set up originally, just one of them will 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 be you know in, in the project but it gets a
0: little bit more complicated right and so this organization that max goes to work for is called the change maker institute and right. this book has a very strong sort of attitude about motivating kids to get interested in science and take action and change the world um yeah
1: yeah which is cool i mean you know look i i i'm big on 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 passion and um um uh, you know, getting people to believe in themselves and, you know, and getting them to believe in, 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 in the possibilities for change. I I just gave a speech last night and, you know, people were kind of saying, you know, like, it's amazing how optimistic you are, especially in the current environment. And I go, yeah, I always have great hope for things. I um you know, the program that I, I find the most interesting right now that I'm involved with and it's it has to do with education. In in Florida where where we spend about nine or ten months, the percentage of kids reading at grade level is forty three percent, which is which is pretty sad. But the best in the country is Massachusetts, and that's 62%. So that's even sadder because that means, well, around the country, you know, nobody's doing terribly well in terms of getting kids to read at, at, at grade level, which should be, you know, kind of basic. Um, we have scholarships, but at, at University of Florida, and so we have a nice relationship there. And uh, I found out that they have a program they've been testing for five years, and they have numbers up in the mid 80s. In terms of you know 84, 85 percent of kids with their program uh, are reading at grade level. So I got, or my wife and I got involved with them. And um, in April of last year, we went to the state legislature here in Florida met with the head of the Senate and the head of the House. And they looked at all the statistics and they said, "We'll give you two counties, and if you get good numbers, you don't have to get 80s, but if you get 60s or whatever, we'll take this program across the state." And it's just a win, 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 win. It's a win for the kids. And it will save lives, literally save, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of lives if we get kids to become competent readers so that they can go on with school and go to high school and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, but there, once again, it, that's in that area of just optimism and hope, you know, without being naive about things. Um, and that's, you know, ob- obviously with Max and, and the Change, Changemakers Institute, uh, they have hope. They have hope that we can solve problems around the world. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll see we'll see how it works out.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what things are like in school now, but when I was in school, so many of the books that we were assigned were not interesting to me at all. And yeah. I wanted to read science fiction, like I think a lot of particularly boys want to read science fiction. And do you think that schools should be assigning more science fiction to get, Kids more interested in reading. I think
1: that schools should be assigning more books that are going to turn kids on. And unfortunately, it's gone the other way uh, with Common Core, where it's it's just more reading that kids a lot of kids find irrelevant and turn off. English should be a real turn on class, and unfortunately, it comes down to you know learning a lot of grammar and then way too often reading things that the kids have no interest in. Um, you know, I always think about you know kids getting you know having to read Shakespeare too early and it's just it's wrong it's a turn off I mean it just turns you off to Shakespeare rather than turning you on if I had to teach was forced to teach Shakespeare to to, to relatively young kids I I think I'd do something like uh, okay everybody stand up on your on on the seat of your desk everybody stand up now you got to understand back in the day when Shakespeare was around in London for whatever reason Everybody went to plays, and this was not true anywhere around the world. It wasn't true in Paris. It was only true in London, and and plays were more popular than movies are now. I mean, just people went. But these people, the places where they went, they were loud and noisy, and there was a lot of drinking, and people were getting drunk, and there was a lot of things going on that we can't talk about in this classroom. <laughs> But I want everybody to, we're going to, you know, whatever it is, Macbeth or Hamlet, whatever, I want you to, we're going to read this first page, and you're going to shout it out, everybody, because that's the scene in this bar room. It's huge, and and people are kind of paying attention or not paying attention, so you need to shout it out. And so now we're starting to get a little interested in, in Shakespeare because we have a sort of a little context, you know? And now you notice that on the the smart boards or blackboards or whatever we have in the classroom, I have put all these words and phrases and, you know, look at the whole, it's all covered all around the room. And they're like, well, you know, what's the big deal? Well, all of those phrases, all of those words, Shakespeare invented them. He just literally made them up. He made up all those words. All those words you're seeing that you're familiar with, road, whatever, he literally made that word up. And, and, And something you should understand about words is every single word there is, somebody made it up. It didn't just pop from the sky. It didn't come down with the Ten Commandments. God didn't come down with the, you know a uh, million word uh, document some human being had to make up every word that you've ever spoken you know so i and once again we're just trying to turn the kids on and turn them on you know and, uh, uh, and and that's that's what needs to happen i think is you know and, and and unfortunately governments are making it hard for teachers you know peering over their shoulders and uh, and, and and forcing them to to you know, are force-feeding too much into into kids that they don't want to do. And and certainly, you know, science fiction or regular fiction, there's just, just a lot of kinds of stories that kids would go, that was cool. I have, you know, the imprint that I have that Jimmy – or that, um, uh, that uh, Max Einstein, it, it's Jimmy books. And our mission is when a kid finishes a Jimmy book to say, please give me another book, as opposed to I don't like to read.
0: I mean, I heard you say that you weren't a big reader as a kid. And I was wondering no. – did no, I, wasn't. No, I was a good student because
1: I wanted to get out of Newburgh, New York, um, but I, I wasn't a big reader, and, and what turned me on or where I turned on, my family moved to Massachusetts. I you know had no money. I, I, I needed to get money to go through college and whatever, and I started working in a mental institution, and uh, I would work a lot of night shifts, and I would go into Cambridge two or three, which was nearby in Massachusetts where my father had moved. Uh, and I would buy, you know, three or four books, you know, three or four times a week and just, you know, mostly in the night shifts. Generally, it was quiet. Occasionally, it would get a little, uh, rambunctious. Um, and I just read, 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 and some science fiction and some, uh, um, you know, a lot of, of, of fictional, you know, plays, poetry, whatever. And, uh, that turned me on to reading. Like, and like, writing.
0: What's, and what's writing? Science? I started scribbling. Not
1: a lot. I mean, you know, uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. I, I'm terrible at if you sit down and go, what did you, uh, you know, uh, but Heinlein, um, some Asenov, um, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a major science fiction person, so I'm sorry to the science fiction po- people listening. I like, uh, I guess I probably like stuff that's a little bit more um, uh, dumbed down science. Um, so, Stranger in Strange Land is cool by me. Some of the stuff that gets a little bit more, not so much. I, you know, some of the movies I uh, I like. I've done, you know, light science fiction. I had a, a series, um, House of Robots, which got, you know, got into light light science as well. I was I was a, a, a kid living in the mother taught at uh, living in Indiana. The mother taught at Notre Dame, and she would invent all these robots. And they'd have all these robots all over the house, and it's kind of humorous, but you learned a little bit about science
0: too. I mean, in your book, "The President Is Missing," one of the characters mentions a canticle for Wiebevitz. Um Is that a book that you like?
1: Um, that's a book that the president likes. Interesting. <laughs> he, uh, he he was he was a fan of that. Yeah, so that's that's how that got into the uh, text. Do you know? And, and once again, as I said about Lisa and and and, and with uh, um. Uh, with with uh, the, the collaborations on uh, on, on Einstein, uh, it, it it does go back and forth between the two. Of us. So same with 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 President Clinton, we went back and forth in pretty much everything.
0: Do you know of any other science fiction books that he likes? Uh, I
1: I don't think it ever came up. I mean, you know, there's a there's a strong science uh, element to the president is missing because it's about cyberterrorism and. People who read that, I mean, it scares the shit out of people, but this isn't one of those like, um, you know, you watch some of these movies, you know, the White House, the White House is on fire or whatever, and there's some sort of a science element or, or Mission Impossible, um, but you kind of dismiss it at, you know, when the movie's over, you go, or that was just a movie. In The President is Missing, what happens there in terms of cyberterrorism, it's very real. And the advantage that we had is that um because of who he is he could go to the best people in the country and he did and they they talked to us about how how that kind of terrorism could happen that it is realistic um so it's so it's scary stuff and it is it's definitely science fiction in a you know in a in a you know a, a political thriller
0: well, right. So a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Richard A. Clark and I asked him uh-huh. about that. He was describing the, the phone conversation I think that you guys had with him, um, uh-huh. sort of uh, brainstorming about the cyber terrorism.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, no, he, uh, it, right. Yes, he was one of the sources, absolutely. And probably the probably the biggest source that we had. And, and uh, the president and he are, are, are close. Of course, the president's kind of close to everybody. <laughs> it's amazing to go touring with them. I mean, I just. The, uh, we would always have these sessions where people could come up and say hello and whatever. And he would, every other person, he'd be hugging them like they were his first cousins, uh, which is which is kind of cool.
0: So, who are the other people that you consulted with in terms of the cyber technology? Oh, I don't know. Technology?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't. What's your name again? No, I'm awful <laughs> about, uh, you know, David Bar Kirby, but uh, I, I forget names and I, I, I don't retain. I've ever. Huge IQ thing, but but I don't re- retain information for some reason. I don't know why it is, but uh, I guess I, I've never found it useful. So names and what did I read last week and, you know, whatever. I, I know I'm reading a Doris Kearns novel, or not novel, but nonfiction right now, Leadership. Um, and that's pretty good for me to remember.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so you mentioned that the, the cyberterrorism in the book is really scary, and it certainly scared the heck out of me. Um, what was that like? just writing about such a scary topic
1: well I've written about scary things before but you know serial killers and a lot of stuff it's sort of you know made up it's it's, it's, it's there's usually something that corresponds to it in this case I don't think people are aware how real the threats are cyber terrorism and you know you start thinking about uh, you know burying some gold in the backyard or something <laughs> in case one of these things actually happens where because it's not just a case of and it isn't in the book and it isn't in real life that, you know, like the lights are going to go out for six hours. Uh, you know, it, it's possible that the lights go out for for months that, um, you know, all your bank records are gone. So there's no record of where your money is or was All your medical records are gone. Uh, basically, all you know, they just erase everything that there is. Um, and, and, and we have to kind of reconstruct the society again um you know clearly there would be another depression uh, i mean one of the things that um, that maybe safeguards us a little bit is and and, and we deal with it in the book is it, it it's not in any country's advantage for the united states to get down um, because if we get down everybody goes down pretty much in terms of the world economy and uh, so you know europe russia China everybody everybody's in trouble if if the united states gets gets hit by a serious cyber attack
0: But so you haven't actually buried any gold in the backyard yet?
1: No, I haven't. Well, no, and I don't want people digging up my damn backyard (laughs) (laughs) No, there's no gold back there, I swear.
0: I mean, because, you know, I've heard about, for example, the um, the Walton family, the Walmart heirs, apparently built some giant underground bunker in case civilization collapses. They can all just go down there.
1: Well, there's a, there's a bunker. It wasn't, uh, Trump's property in Palm beach. It was there before he bought it, but there's a, there's an underground, it was actually, um, built, um, uh, during the Kennedy era when the Kennedys were all down in this area. And there's, there's an underground bunker right on that property. And I guess, uh, you know, some, you know, uh, billionaires have done that kind of thing and people who aren't billionaires have built stuff under their houses and whatever i don't know if protect- it reminds me, you know when i was a kid
0: uh you know there
1: was all the threats of a bombs and h bombs and whatever and then and, and they would do the crazy thing and you do it a couple times a week where they the sirens would go off and you'd have to duck under your desk like that was going to protect
0: you you know Right, but so you haven't built anything like that, or, or if you have, you're not going to... Well,
1: I have anyone. a desk. I'd go under the desk if there was... A, you know, I'm right sitting right at my desk, I'd go right under there. Uh, no, 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 no. No, you know, it's it's, it's silly stuff that's not going to really protect you, and whatever. Sure. And, and what fun would it be You come out and everybody's dead except for you? That's no good either. I don't want to be one of those, la- you know, all the, those various last person on the earth. Um, and, and invariably, somewhere in the story, you will meet the other person, or... Little group of people, or um, I love that. What was that movie? The The Quiet Ones, The Quiet, whatever the hell. That oh, was quiet pretty Boys. cool. It's summer, yeah. That was really well done. Um, uh, uh, I can't remember the the actor, but he he was in it and he, and he directed it. it. Was really. I think he might have written it too. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. John Krasinski is the yeah the director. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Nice, very nice job.
0: Yeah. Do you think you ever might write any any science fiction kind of stuff like that? <laughs> I like I, you know, impossible. I've
1: done light, once again, light stuff, Humans Bowed Down was kind of light science fiction, toys, light science, Max Ride, uh, which is actually my, my most popular um, YA book, Maximum Ride, about a uh, bunch of kids who are um, experimented on in a lab, and, and they're given wings, which I interviewed about 50 scientists about it, and they said, no, you, you, you we could, we could put wings on humans. It'd be you know, tricky and it'd be a mess but it's it's doable um, yeah you know, so then I took liberties and you know they're kind of retractable wings which is kind of fun, not realistic but fun um, and it's I mean it was developed in Hollywood about five times I don't know it's time maybe past I don't know Netflix you know claims that they're still interested we'll see what happens there but it's very very popular and interestingly for me just in terms of the power, your art can have on people. And I was at a YA, um, uh, festival in uh, Charleston a few weeks ago. And I was amazed at, at how many of, of these teenagers were huge fans of Maximum Ride. I was there to promote another author's book, um, another one of the Jimmy authors, but we had a, you know, big thing and there were about 700 people. And most of them, you know, and, and we haven't published a Maximum Ride book in, six or seven years but they were all huge fans and this one um girl came up and she was probably late teens or 17 18 whatever and she said to me she said your maximum ride book saved my life and you know i thanked her i said well that's really nice and she said no no, no james your books saved my life and she said she was, you know, was on opioids and everything. Started reading Maximum Ride, and it really helped her to come out of and get past that in her life. And she said she was, she was on, on her way to, to, uh, to, to, you know, to, to, to dying. Um, you know, which is is amazing when you get those kinds of stories. I will get, you know, thousands of times, you know, letters, emails, and in person, where people say that. You know, my kids' books got their kids reading, and you know, for parents, that's kind of devastating if, you, if your kids, you know, won't, won't or can't read. Um, and then if somehow it, it, they turn the corner, it's you know, it's it's um, you know, amazing thing for people.
0: Are there any other specific stories you remember about uh, readers telling you about some strong reaction they had to one of your books?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, i I've. I've it's, Dozens of times I've had people talk about, um, you know, when a relative was dying and they would sit there and read my books to them, which is, you know, touching. I mean, it's very sad, but also very touching. I've had people talk about bur- people burying um, my books with relatives who, you know, really liked what I did. Which is also a little strange, but also very touching. Um, I did a signing in Kentucky once and... Um, um, you know, it was a good, a good long line. And then a woman came up and, you know, kind of attractive and, you know, uh, uh, and she started crying. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, what's the matter? And she said, oh, she said, I I, I just have to tell you this, you know, kind of a little bit of a con- confession. And she said, she said, I, I had never read a single book in my life um, until I read one of the Alice Cross books, uh, Along Came a Spider and she said that just turned me on to reading and i even though it was difficult in the beginning for me to read a whole book and she said she says i now i mean for the last 4 5 6 years i read every single day and i love it and uh, and that's why i'm crying you know which is you know kind of amazing thing to to have happen to you and 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 to, you know to to you know feel that you did some good
0: yeah wow I mean, you've been going around, I guess, with Bill Clinton touring for "The President Is Missing." What sorts of responses to to this book have you been getting? <laughs>
1: uh, oh, pretty much great. I mean, it's the the negative side of it um, are people who get seem to get political about anything. Uh, the book is not political. I mean, there's one speech at the end that's that's a little political, but I think. It's the kind of thing nobody should really object to it basically just says listen to the other side um, but but the rest of the book isn't political at all and um, but you'll get people that that insist on on making everything that way and and um, you know how can you i we we did a signing um, about a week ago and we're all leaving after the signing and there was five or six protesters and they're just shaking their fingers at like the car I was in going, shame, shame, shame. I'm going, like, what are you kidding? I mean, why would I be ashamed? I'm out here with a person that was a president of the United States. He left office with the highest uh, ratings of, of you know, approval ratings of any president and well, since they've been keeping those kinds of records. So I'm not going to get too ashamed about that. Um, you know, I mean, there there was the Monica Lewinsky thing, which is not his proudest moment. But um, and 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 a lot of times, you know, to really conservative people, I go, look, he's not the devil. He, you know, like let's stop with that. You can believe in big government or little government, and that's a valid argument to have. But but don't be thinking that these people are devils. And I'll say, well, you know, you all, you're know, yeah, the Bush family people. They're good people, right? And they go, yeah, they're good people. They're good people. No, 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 no. They're pretty smart. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty smart. Well, they love the Clintons. So the Clintons can't be devils, can they? You know, and um, you yeah, know, and, and and similarly to the to the other side, you go, well, you know, the 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 the, uh, the Clintons love the Bushes, so they're not devils. The other, and if people could just get a little more sane about stuff and go, like, you know, I believe in big government or I believe in small government. Okay, there's valid, you know, reasons to believe the other way, and let's try to work it out and then compromise. Uh, why? When did compromise become a dirty word? I mean, we compromise with our kids, we compromise with our spouses, we compromise all the time. Why all of a sudden have we going Well, no compromise. It, it, seriously, you know, we have a disagreement. We have two ways to go. Let's kind of meet in the middle and move forward. I think. I don't know. That's me.
0: Yeah, well, well, I guess right, that's and-
1: that's, uh, that's sort of like science fiction these days. Compromise? Mm. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs>
0: That'll well, never right, happen. Right. Cause, cause I mean, I'm, I'm pretty liberal and most people are in, in the circles I move in in, in science and literature and so on. But my, my girlfriend's family, um, most of them are very conservative. And, uh-huh. uh, so I've gotten to know them and I mean, they're good people. And, and it's really, you know, bothering me how people talk on, on social media. All my friends will just talk about conservatives, uh, and just, you know, in, in this very, um, you know, hyperbolic, I, paranoid it's crazy. Sort of way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, both sides do it, which is, which, you know, you, you go back and forth, uh, you know, between CNN and Fox and MSNBC, and you, it's like three totally different, you know, truths. I remember years ago, I went to, I had a procedure in a doctor's office, and about a month later, I was at another doctor's, and he said, geez, what happened in that doctor's office? He could have killed you in the office. So I now knew that one of them was totally freaking crazy, but I didn't know which one. You know, and that's kind of the way it is when you're when you're watching the various you know uh, TV stations. You know that somebody's probably crazy, but you're not sure who it is. You
0: know? <laughs> I mean, one line that kind of jumped out at me in "The President Is Missing" is the the, the protagonist, who's the president. He describes the press as emboldened and ravenous. I was just curious. Uh, do you agree with that characterization? <clears throat>
1: I think that at times they don't really do their job, they don't dig deep enough. I think when you when you look across at news story and everybody has the same footage and everybody is saying the same things about very you know, let's say a disaster or something, you kinda of question it. You question I always question, you know, sort of a lack of an imagination. Um Uh, in terms of, you know, you get a story and you can think of, you know, half a dozen angles that, especially if you're going to cover the thing for days and days and days, that you'd want to dig into what about this, what about that, what about this, what about that. And they don't seem to do that um, very much with a lot of these stories and that kind of... So I I, I think they could do a better job sometimes. I think it's become hard for them to do a better job because... Um, you know, the, 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 um, the manpower, the man and woman power, it keeps getting getting cut back. Uh, so that makes it harder. Uh, I think it's harder to put out a great newspaper than it used to be. Uh, and, and the smaller the newspaper, the harder it gets. Um, um, so I, I, you know, I, I also think that, um, yeah, and I think this has probably always been true that you know various papers have real political bent one way or the other, and and I don't think this used to happen as much as it does. But you'll see even you know important newspapers like especially like the New York Times, you'll see people editorializing on front page stories, and that to me is sort of obviously it's it's now considered to be fine, but it always strikes me as odd that you'd be editorializing on the front page of a newspaper. I would think that that should go on an editorial page. And that's one of the things I think that confuses people also when they watch um, some of these, you know, news shows where, I mean, when I was growing up, um, they would, they would try to do a better job of separating out what was editorial and what was, you know, as as far as they could tell, you know, factual. Um, And now um, on a lot of the radio shows and some of the TV shows, they're editorializing like crazy, and that allows them to sort of make things up or, you know, put out half-truths or put rumors out there as as though they're fact. And, you know, it's kind of a dangerous thing. And, and, and my generation, they're used to like, well, if it's on the TV, it has to be factual. Or if Rush Limbaugh says that it, it must be factual, and not really. Uh, because it's editorial, and 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 a lot of these places, they can sit there and they can, you know, they can quote certain people who, and, and but that's just the person they're quoting. It's just their point of view or something they think they see yeah, at any rate. So it's as you, as you've been saying, as you you know, you read these various things that your friends put up. It's, it's it is a crazy time.
0: Well, right, and I mean, it's fine. It for- gets
1: harder, by the way, it gets harder to write fiction, or well, even science fiction, up to a point. Uh, given the, the chaos of the world right now, you know, nonfiction is, 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 uh, it's so fantastical that it's, it's, it's hard to imagine something that it's hard to get your imagination going beyond what, what's already happening in the world.
0: Right. And I, I think editorializing to a point is fine. I mean, like we're saying, Max Einstein has a point of view that it's coming from, but it's just this, this stoking outrage. Um, well, just don't
1: get... don't don't say that it's news. To, you know, just say this is here's here's my opinion, whatever the heck it is. Yeah, I mean, Max. I mean, look. I mean, it, it, it's obviously a fantasy—the idea that that kids literally are going to save the world. Not likely, but it's a cool thing and it's stimulating to to kids. We um, um, are involved with. A, there's an art school down here where we are, and um, we help them put on their their um, uh, one of their music things in front of a very large audience, like 2,500 people, and invariably when we'll invite people, they'll be like, "Oh, seriously, a high school concert?" But it's such a good—they're so good, and it's so stimulating to kids to see to see kids that are that good at it, kids that are in ninth, tenth, eleventh grade, and and it's like uh, it, it's as good as you would hear in in a Lincoln Center. Uh, and it's really stimulating for kids to see things go like, oh, my God, I mean, I could be I could really do some terrific things. Yeah, you can really do some terrific things if you if you if you have some hope and you try. I mean, I have a series called I Funny for kids and uh, it's about a, a kid who wants to be a stand up comedian. I don't like to lecture at kids. I never do. But but one of the things with that book is that or with the series of books, is if you want to do something, you kind of really have to dig in and uh, and learn about it. And this kid in the book, you know, he, he, he wants to be a stand-up comedian, and so he starts reading everything he can about stand-up comedians, and then he starts memorizing, and then he starts writing his own material. And that's kind of what you have to do. I mean, whatever you want to be, for the most part, you have to really work at it. Um, and, and the thing about the kid and I funny is he can never be a stand, you find out in like the second or third chapter, he can never be a stand up comedian because he actually is in a wheelchair. Um, um, and so a little piece of it is also how humor helps us to get past, um, bumps in the road. Uh, you know, like, you know, living your life in a wheelchair, which is more than a bump, but it's, it, it's a significant thing. And some people deal with it better than others and, and humor
0: helps. How about this thing in Max Einstein where Max gets this idea to put um, solar powers on the turbine blade, blades of a, a windmill? Uh, is that a real thing or is that sort of whimsical? Uh,
1: it's directionally real. I mean, we try to do everything we put in with, that it – yeah, um, it, yes, that that could, that could work. Now, can it work all across Africa don't know about that could be a little more complicated we try to do things I mean what happens in Africa is she and and her group they go to a small village and the idea is if they can make it work for that village that in theory you could make it work for a lot of villages and in this case it has to do with bringing electricity to places where there isn't any or isn't much electricity and when we go to India in the second book um, it has to do with um, making water supply safe to drink in places where it is. And that's a huge problem in a lot of places around the world. Uh, you know, water shortages and also, uh, you know, water being really impure and being very dangerous to, to drink. India being one place where that's very prevalent.
0: Right. I was also just sort of curious. I mean, this book has blurbs from Mayan Bialik and Chelsea Clinton. I was just curious yeah. if you know them at all or have interacted with them at all. I know Chelsea a little
1: bit. Uh, we we put it out to a few people and they were nice enough to come back and, and understand that the idea of um, getting kids involved with the science of, of Einstein would be an important and useful thing. But I think it is. I mean, I think... You know, you mentioned the importance of science fiction, and I don't know how true it is now, but it certainly used to be true. Almost every night, you know, a ton of the important scientists around the world, if you talk to them, you say, well, how did it all start? And they go, I started, I, was, you know, I read a lot of science fiction as a kid, and it turned me on. It got me going, got me thinking about about science. You know, and sometimes it's just, I just had a great teacher or my parents were really involved in science. But but a lot of times it was, you know, reading science fiction really got them excited about the possibilities uh, for science and, and, and the possibilities of, of of their becoming scientists.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's really, you know, my parents are both scientists and they got into it from reading science fiction. And certainly most scientists that I've talked to are big science fiction fans. So I, I definitely uh-huh. think there's a big... Feedback loop there.
1: Yep, yep, yep. So that's that's a useful thing. My science just isn't sharp enough to uh, to go too deep. But I, I go I go shallow I go shallow. <laughs> and 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 the nice thing about the Einstein book because we're talking about kids, you know, sort of seven to twelve. I don't have to go too deep. <laughs> At least oh, yeah. as I said, you know, in terms of. Turning the kids, some of them on, and then and then some of them will they they will dig deeper because they you know they, they got excited about Einstein.
0: I mean, did you need to do any research uh, for the book on science or on Einstein's oh, sure. life and stuff? Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I did some of it, and then and then we have uh, one fellow who, who works with us a little bit out of Chicago, and he's he's pretty good at um, um, laying stuff out in ways that Chris and I can understand what the hell it means. <laughs>
0: I mean, is there anything you found out about Einstein that uh, surprised you or that sticks out in your mind?
1: Um, not really. I could – because I – you know, I, I had I, – I read um, – oh, gee, was it called Genius? Whatever. I know the TV show. I saw the TV show on Discovery Channel but also read – oh, Eric, um, what the hell is his name? Uh,
0: uh, was it Walter Isaacson? Um,
1: the book might have it – it's out the, in the last couple of years. I, I'd read that, so – I was, you know, semi familiar with Einstein.
0: Yeah, I really liked that TV show. Did you Did you like it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping at
1: some point, you know, we can get something done on film with uh, uh, with Max Einstein. We have um, with the president is missing. Showtime uh, bought it, um, you know, before it came out, and we just got the um, the fellow who wrote and directed the last two Mission Impossible's. Um, he's going to be, uh, and then and then another writer who did, um, um oh shit, what well, I forget what he did. <laughs> he, uh, Invictus, um, which was about you know soccer down in South Africa when when, when they won the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Took so, a couple of good writers, so I'm, I'm hopeful about that project. You know, being a uh, a really good uh, TV series based on the book.
0: I mean the thing I mean in that show there was stuff like that Einstein had a lover who was an attractive Russian spy and I was like wait is this is this is real and
1: uh it is. oh yeah no he was he was an out there human being I mean he definitely um uh and clearly um you know I don't know that you know his his <laughs> the, the way he dealt with women was exemplary but I also, it bothers me when we sit there and we think we figured something out at our age and then we want to go back and criticize everybody along the way because they didn't, they hadn't figured it out the way we have figured it out. Um, but, you know, 50 years from now, people will look back at what we think we figured out and laugh and make fun of what we're, we're, uh, the, the, the way we're living our lives now. But I ran into it, obviously, with President Clinton, um, um, you know, at NBC where they, got into the whole Lewinsky thing again. And, um, you know, at a certain point, you just want to go, look, I mean, it was 30 years ago, and, uh, you know, the president has apologized for that. And, and and since then, he's done a lot of great things. And, um, you know, it, to, to some extent, I mean, whatever the audience is, I kind of defy anyone to get up and, and demonstrate that they've done more good for the world than, than, than they, neither he or Hillary have done. They really have done a lot of good things. Uh, Which doesn't mean they're perfect human beings, but and it doesn't excuse things But they have done a lot of good things and I think they're they're basically very good human beings And I know the Bushes and I think they're good human beings. So I just agreed to go to a Celebration, you know, Barbara Bush had her literacy program And uh, so I'm going to the 25th anniversary of her literacy program, which I think is great Uh, actually years ago I got a um, a uh, letter and I was reading it and this guy said, I picked up your latest book in Chicago airport and I'm a big fan and I keep book plates. Would you mind, you know, signing my book plate? And then at the bottom it goes George Bush and it was George Bush senior. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I've, I've spent some time with the Bushes, obviously sent some time with the Clintons, which has been, you know, terrific. I've been out to dinner, actually up in your neighborhood there with uh, the Clintons a few times and, um, you know they're delightful to uh, to hang out with. So Hillary is warm and very down to earth, um, um, and, and just a sweetheart to to, to sit with in, in a small table. I, I never thought she was great on television, but uh, in a small group, she's you know just spectacular, um, smart but not in that showy, obnoxious way, and, and just a, a delight to be with.
0: Well, what you were saying about how the values of the past are different from the values of the present and the values of the future will be different. I mean, that's certainly a major preoccupation of science fiction. And one of my sure. pet peeves is how a story could be set 300 years in the future and the people think and act exactly the way that people today do. Uh-huh. I think that Star uh-huh. Trek is one of the, the best examples of, of you're know, trying to actually – Predicts uh, a society that's that's different and, and improved.
1: You mean the best at avoiding that problem?
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh, uh huh, uh uh-huh. Yeah, actually, our son Jack—he's a he's a much bigger science fiction uh, person than I am. But he's uh yeah, he, he's definitely involved. He's watched all the Star Trek. He reads a fair amount of science fiction. Um, and I never did quite as much, but but he's done a lot. It's Kurt Vonnegut. Does he count as humorous science fiction?
0: Yeah, I would certainly consider him science fiction. I mean, <laughs> The Sirens of Titan. I, I yeah, see how yeah, yeah, it yeah.
1: I, I loved. I mean, that, that was another one. I mean, once again, it's I not like a heavy dose of science fiction, but I always thought he was you know, pretty wonderful. And certainly, making fun of of uh, the, the, the different the, the craziness of our modern world.
0: Yeah. Do you have any idea what any of the science fiction that Jack has been reading is?
1: Um, no, not off the top of my head. It's bad enough. I can't remember what <laughs> I'm reading. I definitely can't remember what Jack's been reading, but he does he does read quite a lot he's He's a bright dude. he's up at brown now and yeah uh, you know. the, the nice thing about that school is um the culture there not every kid participates, but the culture is you're all bright don't so don't beat each other up and support each other. And that's kind of the, not every kid, but that's kind of the way it is there. And the professors pretty much are that way too. They're just not into beating people up. My niece went to MIT and um, she just said it was a horror show and she, she got two medals at graduation. So she did well, but she just said it was just so unpleasant in so many ways. And then she went to medical school at Brown and she said that the difference was unbelievable just in terms of what a, Nicer, better, more humane for her, anyway. Experience Brown was versus what she had experienced as an undergraduate at MIT, and once again, that's one person. So I don't want to necessarily say MIT is, a, um, but but there's a lot to be said for uh, um, a, a, a good college environment that's sort of on the side of let's you know let's let's try to support one another,
0: right. I also wanted to ask you, OK, so the the cover flap for The President is Missing, it says that this book has details only a president could know. And I was just curious, what are some of those? I think that
1: – well, uh, you know, um, obviously things about the White House, things about – the you know, there there is a, a tunnel out of the White House, which a lot of people are not – most people aren't aware of it. It goes over by uh, – uh, you can go from the White House, I think it's out near the Treasury Department. Um, you know, he would, he would all, I mean, like, um, there was a piece that, that I wrote about a president having to make a decision to get a, um, to go after a, a, a terrorist who would shield himself with, with his family, which, you know, we've heard, read about and or, and I was curious about what he would, whether he would say, okay, that's, you know, yeah, we're, we're going to go after the guy. And, uh, he said, yeah, I, we're going to have to go after the guy. So you, you know, you make stuff up when you write fiction. Uh, but in this case, you had somebody who would go, yep, that could happen. Or, you know what, that just wouldn't happen. I mean, in terms of the president going missing, that requires him getting, well, it doesn't require, but in, in most cases it would, getting the Secret Service to agree to, to back off and, and not protect him. And um, it's kind of debatable whether that's possible, if you got 10 lawyers in the room, seven would say, yeah, probably the president could say, I don't want the secret service to, you know, and they could, uh, uh, you know, go off on their own. And three would say, no, you, you wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, so we went with the seven and uh, because it was important for the book called the president is missing mm-hmm. that the president dumps his secret service protection. It also makes for a lot more interesting. And, and then once he had, I mean, you have things like the president in this book driving a car, you know, and I asked him, I said, when was the last time you drove a car? And he had to think about it. I asked President Clinton and he said, well, he said, when Chelsea was learning how to drive down at Camp David, I taught her down there. And then he said, "Ah, I was at run of the raceways, and they kind of let me go around in one of the cars once and that's it. I mean he doesn't drive anywhere. the secret service still drives him everywhere and uh, I've golfed with him a couple of times, and I let him drive the golf cart and i I'm putting my life in his hands <laughs> because he you know he doesn't he's not the greatest driver uh so uh yeah. but anyway, so there's a lot of stuff from sort of very mundane things." Um, like, you know, when was the last time you went shopping? Do you have any idea what anything costs anymore? When was the last time you bought a quart of milk? Okay, what does it cost now? Do you have any you know what I mean? So very mundane things to, you know, much heavier things like, okay, what happens uh if um uh theoretically there's a trader in in, in the White House, what steps would actually be taken? you know, what would it be like if a presidential, I mean, you've seen in the movies a motorcade gets attacked, but what literally what hap- what would happen with the Secret Service um, so yeah, I, I, there there are things in there that, and the other thing about it, I mean, one of the things that we tried to do it, over the last 20 or 30 years, there's been a lot of You know, joking about the presidency Saturday Night Live and then shows like Scandal and House of Cards and whatever. And, and that's all fine and good, except that people start actually thinking that the presidency is kind of a joke. And it isn't. It's the most powerful, the most important, the most stressful, uh, job in the world. I mean, it's unbelievably stressful. And, and I don't want to get political here, but, we have to be really careful about who we consider putting in the white house. I think people have forgot that they see some of these shows and they start confusing, you know, Saturday night live with reality or house of cards with reality. Um, you know, I, I, we don't have any presidents that would go out shooting somebody on the subway, you know, subway tracks like uh, house of cards. Um, and, and that was, that was important to us to, uh, You know, to to try to get people to see the presidency in 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 terms of of four unbelievably stressful days that could happen, and 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 uh, you know what it would be like to have that job. So that's another one. You only a pres only a president could kind of take you through those four days, and and for it to be realistic. I mean, I could guess about it as a fiction writer, um, but but I'd probably be wrong a lot.
0: I mean, like one detail that sort of stood out to me is that there's this black tent that they go inside to have secure communications. Is that a real?
1: Uh-huh. There's a lot of detail like that. Yes. Yeah. And, and they uh, the president is often he meets with some other leaders. And, um, you know, once again, it's a secret secretive meeting, which is possible that once again, it's rare, but it can happen. And uh, you're right. They go into a black tent. So there's be the totally secure communications.
0: Um, I thought it. That's, po-
1: that's, that's real. Yeah, everything in there is real. Everything that's in there, and 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 President Clinton and I agreed that we weren't going to put anything in there that was just bullshit.
0: <laughs> I mean, we mentioned that the the stories about this devastating cyber attack, and it, it says in the book that there's actually a huge shortage of qualified cyber terrorism experts in in the government, and that uh, that we need more of them.
1: Well, more than ever now, uh, because you know, I just read. Um, Oh, the fifth, um, shit, the fifth risk. And, uh, and that deals with, um, um, what a, what an important time it is when you make a presidential transition, because essentially what's happening, it's like, here's a huge corporation, not as big as IBM, but a huge corporation. And suddenly in one day you turn over almost the whole company. It's all new people. Nobody knows. So it's so important that you've prepared for it. And, uh, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and kind of know how to do it. Um, so apparently, uh, the Bush, you know, because of a lot of experience did a pretty good job of setting it up for Obama. Um, Obama, uh, because he thought he was doing it for Hillary, did a pretty good job of setting it up for Trump, but, um, other Trump people were, were mostly unprepared, uh, which is a very dangerous thing in terms of just having people and and to this day, I mean just some of the people that have like running uh uh energy and whatever you just go, really that's you know <laughs> strange choice um so it's it's kind of scary now,
0: well, yeah, like with what you were saying before, I mean it seems like there is this increasing tendency to view the presidency as a like a reality t v show and and vote in yeah. order to make a I wonder point. why. <laughs> Yeah, well, to to make a point or or uh, you know make a statement or stick it to the other side rather than pick the person who is you you honestly feel is the most qualified.
1: Yeah, yep, 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 yeah, and it's a continuing problem. I mean, it's we'll see what happens here, but I mean the the one of the things that President Clinton and I talked about a fair amount is th- to succeed. For the most part, I mean, to become the president, to have a chance of becoming the president, you need a story that people find um, compelling and 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 useful to themselves, and you need a storyteller. And you know, the Republicans had a story: uh, "Let's make America great again." And you know, there's a a a, a wide swath there in terms of what does that mean and then they had a storyteller who was good at telling that story and 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 the thing with the democrats now i don't know that they have a story a coherent story about and a story can't be like let's get rid of president trump it has to be a story where people go yeah that's what i need to move my life forward and i need the economy to be better and i need healthcare to be better and things like that and, and, and in a believable way and then a storyteller you know obviously president clinton Uh, was a great storyteller. He had that ability to make um, his message very clear to people and compelling and deal with them as a person speaking to other people. Um, You know, Reagan was a good storyteller. Um, 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 You know, President Trump is a good storyteller for that particular message. So and we'll see what the future brings. But I, I, I get nervous if they get up there with no story and, uh, and no storyteller, because uh, then I don't think, it, you know, it'll, I don't think there'll be any changes in terms of the next election.
0: Right. I, I, I sort of share that sentiment as, as a liberal. I mean, I think that the Democrats are in a good position to win against Trump in 2020 with a generic Democratic candidate, but it's not clear.
1: Well, the weird thing absolutely. is, I mean, the statistics now are saying that that Trump would lose an election, but that's against nobody.
0: Right, that's what I'm saying. So,
1: yeah. when you put somebody in there, I think the numbers will change. Uh, when you actually, when you actually have a democratic candidate, people are going like, eh, "I don't know about that person."
0: No, exactly. I mean, if they could just—I'm saying—if they could just run a generic candidate, I think that would be, you know, uh-huh. they, they would probably uh-huh. win. But like, yeah, they just—they need someone who can. Tell <laughs> right, fill in the so. name. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. Just- okay, so- so, we're almost out of time, and I guess the last thing I want to ask you is that I saw an interview with you from a few years ago where you talked about you were working on a a, a novel called The store, which is sort of about a, a an Amazon type company I was wondering if that's yeah. still if you're still
1: working oh that's on that done thing. that's out there yeah, yeah that's and that's um uh you remember Ira Levine
0: yeah yeah um, rosemary's baby and
1: rosemary's baby and all that it's it's that kind of tone, and it's where a company essentially is kind of taking over the world, and a couple of writers, as it turns out, married a couple, and they decide to write a book kind of exposing what's going on. And to do that, they have to go into this this huge conglomerate at the store and, and expose it. And it's, it, it's, it's a very interesting read. Um, actually, at one point, M. Night Shyamalan, I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, he was interested in maybe taking it, you know, as a movie. But it is—it's. Um, uh, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think science fiction readers would find it interesting.
0: Have you gotten any reaction from Jeff Bezos on it?
1: No, he kind of ignored it, which is which is fine. <laughs> uh, no, no reaction from from uh, Mr. Bezos on that one
0: because you've met him you said i think right that you were hoping that he would um, direct some of his resources into uh, well yeah
1: my literacy. the only thing i mean my real issue there was please don't try to hurt publishers because you know i maybe 20 years from now we won't need publishers but right now we really do you know if if ulysses came out and there were no publishers it would go out on the internet and it would get like five ridiculously bad reviews and it would disappear <laughs> or if infinite jest came out and it would get, you know, for, you know, like, incomprehensible, couldn't understand a word, a, and it's gone. You know, so we need publishers right now to identify certain pieces, certain work, to to, to, to bring um, people's attention to certain writing, et cetera. We really do need it, because right now that's not happening on the Internet at all. I mean, well, I shouldn't say it at all, but mostly it's not happening on the Internet. Certainly not on the level where it can reach, uh, you know, most most Americans or even a, a, a decent percentage of them.
0: Right. Absolutely. All right. So we're we're all out of time. So hopefully I got some questions in there that you haven't been asked a million times. Before.
1: Absolutely. This was like talking to somebody in you know Norway or something. No, it was <laughs> great. It's terrific. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was a very interesting hour for me anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And definitely for me as well. Uh, so we've been speaking with James Patterson. Uh, about these new books, Max Einstein, The Genius Experiment, and The President is Missing. So, James, thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank you. And that was our interview. So big thanks again to James Patterson for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to Brian Tomasoni, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geeks Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show